the incomparable. Number 134, April 2013. We're back with another edition of The Incomparable. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and this is an edition of our book club. Joining me today to talk about books that will depress you because they're about the end of the world, the apocalypse, sadness, and airplanes are Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. But there's a dog. There's also a dog. We should fire off the spoiler horn before we say what happens to the dog. (laughs) 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 Lex Friedman is also here. Hi, Lex. Yeah, there's a dog, but there's also a baby on a spit. So let's not get too optimistic. Hmm. That's not that's in a different book, though, isn't it? Yeah, okay. But I'm just saying as a collective, these two books are really depressing. One book has a dog and one book has. Well, that sounds like they're very different books. One book has a dog. (laughs) One book has a baby on a spit. That's very, very different. But they're not that different. Well, okay, maybe they are. Uh, (laughs) Also joining me is john syracuse hi john why would books about the end of the world depress you i don't see that as even <laughs> i find them exhilarating could be well, a positive. We, we, we've discussed your views of the apocalypse previously i'll, I'll admit yeah. right away that the, the thing that depresses me most about any book dealing with the end of the world is how ill prepared i would be for said end and how i would simply die i would be in the first wave of people to die no matter what you're what, you're what they call the one of the lucky ones like yeah go early yeah, that's the way. I, I think I said on our last Apocalypse Book Club when Lisa was here and we were talking about that that collection that um, that uh, somebody asked Robert Kirkman, who wrote The Walking Dead, what he would do in the case of a zombie apocalypse. And he said, hang myself. <laughs> I'm not going to. No, no, I don't want to live through that. Are you kidding me? That would be awful. But um, both of the books that we're talking about tonight are about the apocalypse, uh, more or less. And uh, one of them is a book by, this is our recent selection. It's a book uh, from 2012 by Peter Heller called The Dog Stars, uh, which I read over the holidays, I think, or I got it for Christmas. So I read it, I read it early this year, uh, liked it a lot, nominated it for a Hugo Award, didn't win, didn't get nominated. Oh, well. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. And then we're also going to talk about a, a more of a classic novel from 2006, Cormac McCarthy's The Road, which is super depressing, but also super great. Uh, but we'll get to that. I thought we'd start by talking about the more recent uh, book, The Dog Stars, which, uh, you know, I've been listening to the um, the, the Flophouse podcast long enough that I want to do a lengthy um, <laughs> lengthy plot synopsis with lots of wacky jokes, but I'm not nearly as funny as the guys from the Flophouse podcast. So help me out here, guys. The um, Dog Stars is a book uh, where there's been an apocalypse. Uh, there's a there's like a dude who lives in an airport in Colorado, and he's got a buddy, sort of, who lives with him, who's like a survivalist, and he sort of like has a garden at the airport, and um and is feeling, I guess, unfulfilled a little bit about his his sort of day by day life at the airport where they you know whenever anybody gets close enough they kill them they like. <laughs> They have it like get up in the tower and blow people away if they come close so that they can live their little life. They're not necessarily um, they're surviving. Right. But they're not necessarily uh, these altruistic people They're It's him and the survivalist kind of shooting anybody who comes near them in, in this airport. But he yearns for something more. Does that sound Scott? Is it coming back to you now? I, I remember the beginning of this book, and so uh, oh good, that, that does. Uh, so Hig is the name of the uh, the pilot who flies around in his little plane. Right, we missed that piece that he has a that the the main guy has a plane, right? That he yes. flies around. Well, I mentioned there was a plane, but yes, he has a plane at the airport, and he can fly. So he goes and visits people. <laughs> the, the airplane can, can fly. The airplane, <laughs> can fly, yes. Well, he can fly the plane. Okay, yes. he does. It's not that fantastical. If he could fly, this this book would be over. 
He could go, every, I am the ruler of the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not it. That would it's be an interesting it. book. Well, where he gets excited, right? Because when he, one day when he's flying, uh, I guess even maybe before the the novel starts is to happen, but he hears another voice on the radio and he yeah. f- thinks there's somebody right. else out there, and right. so his lifelong mission now becomes to find the person to, he spoke to. Yeah, to figure out where that signal is coming from and track them down. Yeah, because he has this sad, um, you know, every, every time he's flying, he he runs through like the 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 intercom the tower the tower communications just in case there's somebody out there and one time he hears from like a far off location that's i guess he could fly there but he couldn't get he wouldn't have enough fuel to get back and everything is calculated by i need to have at least half a tank so i can get back to my home airport um (laughs) and and i it is i do have some questions i mean the the author who is a pilot obviously um he 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 makes this whole sort of thing about how the the gas is some gas is still good and then the, and then they're, eventually they'll have to get to jet fuel but i kept thinking wow what a luxury to in after the apocalypse be able to just kind of all fly around to various places it's kind of uh it it <laughs> yeah this book wanted to have its cake and eat it yeah. too like in terms of it wanted to be like gritty realism but it also had a certain conceits that were built into the 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 premise of the book as in a man his dog a plane that type of thing, and they don't necessarily fit together in any sort of logical manner. Even, even if you accept everything you just discussed about the plane and everything like that, it's like, you know, part of the limitation was, well, how much range does he have? Well, he's flying a Cessna. Or like, your options for, if you have the entire world and most people are dead, your options for aircraft expand greatly. So there's no real reason that he has to be flying around in a Cessna with very short range. Even if you accept all the stuff about the fuel and everything, well, and although you do know how to, f- you do know how have to know how to fly these certain kinds of. Planes. Got all the time in the world to learn. Well, that's well, always got. Groundhog's Day, die. he became yeah. an expert pianist. He doesn't yes, want to die in Groundhog's Day. The day resets. If uh, Hig were to crash uh, his jet fighter, he would. That was it. That's his <laughs> yes, chance. Yes, his well, he doesn't have to fly a jet fighter, but you can just get a slightly bigger prop plane. Yeah, maybe. That's all I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like just two en- two engines for safety. I suppose just fly over to the Cessna store. That was not my problem with it. My problem was more that every time you going you're going out to like, oh, I'm gonna fly around, see what I can see, stop and get some soda at the convenience store, <laughs> which he does, yeah, I mean, and then go visit of, the orphans who have the funny disease uh, that is part of the apocalypse and yeah, give them some funny. stuff. Uh, I'm thinking every time you're making the, that trip, you're losing like the last gas that exists in the world. Well, no, but he'd had already calculated how much he had but it reminded me of the most recent episode of revolution not to turn this into a tv episode but uh, i don't know if anyone saw it the, the, the increasingly hilarious uh some for some reason not canceled television series <laughs> i gave up after the, the pilot the premise of the thing is that some people have helicopters and these are like helicopters that like sneak up on you like on their tippy toes wearing their their quiet socks in the house <laughs> they're stealth, they're right? they're like, stealth helicopters you don't you don't know the helicopter is there until it is literally filling the frame of the camera which is not zoomed in stealth right? helicopters somehow oh there's a helicopter around that you know how far away you can hear a helicopter from especially in a world with no, anyway so the same thing with this plane if if your goal is not to be killed by like the other people who apparently are all hostile or at least you think they're all hostile don't fly a plane because it's going to be the only plane in the sky. You can hear it for miles and miles and well, miles around. I assume that's why people come to the airport or they know that the that if you come like within five miles of the airport, you're shot yeah, to death know, from but a like, tower. But it's like it's it's a, it's a, they're causing their own problems. It's OK. So it, if you didn't fly the plane, people wouldn't come to the airport. But they're flying the plane to make sure they can see the people who are coming to the airport. But they're only coming because they can see your plane from 300 miles away because it's the only plane in the sky and they're really noisy. 
Well, I think he's sense. he's flying the plane, uh, not just for the practical reasons of scouting out, you know, the uh, hostile forces, but I think it's his one escape from the horrible <laughs> reality of well, uh, the world right. is he feels falling free. to pieces, and he can yeah, feel free. In, as in he's the piloting. apocalypse, your your options for like uh, self actualizing hobbies are limited to some degree. Right. I mean, they're like, limited, but he has a plane and fuel, and he's living in an airport. So why not? Uh, he's, he's basically got you know two things to live for in, in the immediate in the, at the start of the book. He's got his dog, which I thought was a. I found it. I think like John might have been referencing a little bit annoying or trite or cliche to say well i'm here and i'll have somebody to talk to because i've got my wilson i've got my dog and then he's got his flying right because there is nothing to do he can hang out with his well, he's got hunting and fishing right too. but he can hang out with his neighbor who he mostly hates Doesn't i like, mean yeah the neighbor is is really well prepared for the apocalypse is, is essentially thrilled by the existence of the yeah, apocalypse and loves to gun down humans and he's you know he's one of those he's a he's doomsday prepper. prepper so i i the you know I, I did not at all mind the conceit of his sort of wasting fuel from time to time and flying around for the hell of it because there is nothing to do. But yes, he can forage for food so that he can survive. <laughs> but then if he wants to do anything, he I'm pretty sure he doesn't even have an iPhone, which just makes it horrible. That's true. Well, we get into more hobbies of people after the apocalypse later in the book with, in the ending that Scott can't remember. But when, when, when we bring it up, I'm sure we'll all come back to you, Scott, that the flying and gardening and fishing and hunting are not the only hobbies available to you in the post-apocalypse apocalyptic world of the dog stars yes there's also backgammon um so the the uh i would say it's about hig back. is that um he is obviously uneasy and he is searching for something right so he he his his uh his companion this this uh doomsday prepper guy is happy to have it be um doomsday like you said and he's all prepared and hig is not happy about it i mean he has you know he's growing things and he's flying around but even then he's wandering he is that that's just part of who he is he's wandering and searching for something he's talking on the radio trying to find people he's visiting the the kids in the family that's got the disease he's taking these hikes up into the mountains that his his buddy says he's crazy for doing it and he's going to get himself killed but and he almost does right <laughs> until he's saved by a by mortar fire from his crazy um his crazy buddy at the airport but um you know clearly everything he does is because he is he's uncomfortable he's searching he's not he's not happy in the in the apocalypse big surprise but his buddy is happy and he he's looking for something right he we learn as we go that he you know that he's lost his his wife and and we learn about the end time and how you know how how it all kind of fell apart and he wants to find something else and so, and that's really the story of the book is we get this whole first part where it's setting up his world and then he goes kind of on this little walkabout where he kind of almost tries to get himself killed um, spoiler horn. But his dog dies. Of natural causes. <gasps> not ki- not uh, uh, of natural causes. Well, he he might have also frozen to death. It's really hard to tell. Well, maybe, but that's... It's a that's, natural process. He's not killed by, like, zombies <laughs> or anything. He just right. dies. Nobody eats him. <clears throat> no, that's not true. yet. Not Nobody right away. Him. He wasn't murdered. We'll no, he was not murdered. The dog was the dog was not murdered. Uh, and he comes back from that and he almost gets killed. And that, there's that whole section. But but what the story, you know, in some ways is really about is what happens next, which is he just says, I gotta get out of here. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that that stray thing that I heard on the radio that's gonna take me out of range and it's I'm I'm making a risk, but I'm I'm just unhappy. I guess what I'm saying is this is a book about a guy who has survived the apocalypse and 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 still wants more. <laughs> <laughs> what more I, I, could you want? I, 
I have a question about the the main character Hig here, and maybe for the people who maybe just for Jason who's read it more recently, you can tell me if I'm crazy about this. So, first of all, this book and the Road, which we'll get to second, uh, are both in the uh, post apocalyptic world where ninety nine point nine percent of the apostrophes have been wiped out. Right? Or quotation marks. Sorry. Yes, yes. There's very little punctuation right. after the apocalypse. So, so there's no quotes around the things. You know, it's it's very interesting. I don't know if you picked them intentionally with this thing, but there's very interesting writing style where they don't put quotes around what people say, and it's kind of, you know, sort of stream of consciousness, right? Yeah, now, I thought it was Cormac on, McCarthy when I read The Road several years ago, but then I read this and I was like, wow, I guess punctuation really was a victim of yeah, the apocalypse. Yeah, I think, I think he picked it up from Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, I think yeah, so. I, but, but see, that particular style, especially early on when he's sort of giving the quick background on like, of what happened and how like uh you know people were tell us how people arrived at by sickness it was you know fevers it would kill them it was like the flu they would die and then some people live with this blood disease and at one point in the first handful of pages in this sort of staccato stream of consciousness you know sentence fragment structure of explaining what happened to the world he mentions that he himself i think had a fever at some point it was burning up but just didn't didn't die like yeah, right came yes. through it or whatever and that that fever like cooked his brain in his skull and because of the writing style and that passage in the beginning i was thinking he is mentally impaired in some way by having his brain boil in his head during this sickness thing (laughs) and that he is not really the master of his own thoughts like he knows he's like self-aware mentally incapacitated in some way that's what i thought right not just but not just you but by the end of the book, that apparently his brain is better he's because better. he's, you know, thinking in full sentences. And I don't know if that was like a literary device to try to like express his uh, depression in terms of an inability to think straight. But it was almost like feeble minded. It was like flowers for Algernon, but, it, you know, only in one direction. Like by the end of the book, he's like, I am a sophisticated person with complex thoughts and complete sentences. And I do logical things where in the beginning I was willing to almost forgive him flying around the airport in the plane because he's feeble minded and his partner guy is nuts doesn't he talk about that though doesn't he sort of say that he feels like he's getting better that he's that he's thinking more clearly or maybe i just put it there it's very clearly that he he seems more lucid as he goes um and maybe it's maybe it's the fog clearing maybe this is the story of him kind of finally getting it together out of after all that time but you're right when it starts he talks about having his fever and being really confused and and apologizing basically for the bad punctuation in the book yeah, I thought that would be a bigger part of the book, but like it, I mean, it went away pretty quickly and it just, you know, you settled into, oh, okay, well, instead it's just going to be a book with the regular narrator, but no quotation marks. Instead of a, <laughs> yeah. instead of a book narrated by somebody who is not... Kind of messed up. Yeah, who, who, who isn't operating it at full power, which is kind of like a fun kind of unreliable narrator where he's not being unreliable intentionally or because he's deluded, but merely because his... Uh, his perceptions are not right. uh, sophisticated. Now, you know, I will say that the my biggest objection, or the, the thing that I had the, the biggest problem with, and I, I didn't read this as recently as Jason, but there's the, a, a decent chunk of the book, I guess closer to the end, where he, um, I don't know if this requires a spoiler horn or not, but where he, he meets up with some other people. Yes. Right. We've blown the spoiler horn. We, the, the most important spoiler, which is that the dog doesn't make it, is out there now. It's out there. 
So yes, he meets some people in, on on his little walkabout, which and, we haven't gotten right. To, but yeah. And he, but so during this during his time, he spends some time with those people. He spends nights with these people. He, he spends weeks weeks with them. yes, and yes. he 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 literally spends the night with with the woman upon whom he happens. L- liter- literally spends the night, Lex, meaning that they spend time together and it happens overnight, and literally that's what happens. Literally, they fornicate. Okay, all right. Literally, and what got it? And I I don't know. I, they've I, been very lonely. He's he's had a, only a survivalist with him. She's only had her father. In some respects, you you would say, look, this is this is the scenario where like you literally are the last man. Exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if if ever there was a time where you can excuse two people getting together because they're it's like well because he's, she's the only female in the book and he's the only male. When that is almost like, well, he's the only female and the male on the entire planet. You can see how that, like, that's inevitable that it's going to happen just because. But see, it's just, not just, just but if that's what it was, it was just like, and we were like, hey, screw it. Let's, you know, get it on. That'd be one thing. But this is, they, they really have a, a falling in love situation. Well, I mean, I don't think they do because I don't know if the characters are, were not beefed up or if she's supposed to be mentally incapacitated as well but like they're 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 both i mean they're both kind of like they're both kind of still in a fog and it's like well well we're here they're really damaged by the apocalypse well yeah you would think that kind of throws you off everyone dying and you are a survivor and then you have to stay huddled and hidden in this like little valley with your father yeah but this is like was it 15 years later though how many years like many years it's not like get over it i mean okay so the world (laughs) ended the world ended okay come on no i mean i I understand where you're coming from john but i just i felt like it felt rushed or unjustified you know we didn't yeah i agree with you but i'm just saying like i i think it it's appropriate for it to be weird and rushed and unjustified because I think it would be unjustified in real life and it would, you know what I mean? I mean, that's how it felt to me was like they had this initial rush of like, I don't trust you. I'm going to try to kill you. And then there's like, all right, I'm going to trust you enough to not kill you right now. I may kill you in the morning. And then, and then there's that whole, um, okay, well, you, you know, maybe this I'm is here safe. And you're here. Maybe this is safe enough. And we're, we're the only two, you know, normal um adults in the in the book one man one woman what do you think is going to happen and then there's that other part which is like well you know the creek is gonna dry up (laughs) we're we're not going to be able to stay here very long this guy seems like he's an okay guy maybe there's something more here maybe we can go with him maybe you know maybe we can you know we can trust him and then that kind of evolves but i think it's logical that in this kind of scenario one thing would come ahead of the other that the that the yeah. there's the, the killing part trying to kill them and then the sex part and then the kind of like maybe we really can trust him part and they come out they're all messed up they're all out of sequence that's how my marriage happened <laughs> that's that's right first your wife's father tried to kill you with a shotgun and then yes. you throw a grenade but away from them showing that you're really that's like a courtship move there. yeah that's right i have ammunition them. but i'm not using it i just felt like they either had to say hey you know why don't we have some sex so that we can continue the species or they ah. have to or they have to be like you know what where it's two of the very last humans around neither of us has really tremendous access to soap and things like that and we're both kind of disgusting <laughs> and roughing it every day let's let's be friends like i think we could have just been friends i would have been fine with that platonic apocalypse friends i think it's more of like a, i won't tell anyone if you won't <laughs> yeah you know there's nobody to tell no I had more of an objection to the to the the father character because uh, despite you know so you got your main character and you got the woman who doesn't really do much and is not fleshed out whatever but the father character was you know the like 
you know, the the uber father figure where he is a gruff but fair <laughs> but a competent but protects his daughter but not too protective and just like he didn't I didn't feel like I knew anything about the father as a character. I felt like no I can picture the actor who would play this in the movie cuz I think he there there are a couple actors who played this part in every movie or TV show that has this character. It's, in Tom, it. it's Tommy Lee Jones. You know, or or someone similar, or maybe older Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. or a white-haired version. But like, I I don't feel like I know anything about the father character. I, I feel like I know a little tiny, tiny bit about the woman character, and you know, substantially more about Hig because you spend most of the book with him. Right. Uh, but those two guys, for for that to be, I don't know if it was page-wise, for but for it to kind of be a book in two acts where it's like the, uh, here's my world, here's how it works. I know it, it falls apart because my dog dies, and now I don't know what to do. And then the second part is, I'm off on my own. I'm journeying. I find these people. I find myself again, and then the journey back. That second half, like, I I felt like I knew Bangley much better than I knew any of those two characters who made up the second half. Yeah, I guess, although Bangley himself, uh, his buddy at the airport, is is a... uh... I mean, he's a broad sort of character too, <laughs> right? There's not new, not much nuance to him. He's a survivalist. Well, I think there, I think there is though, because like when you see a character like that, it can go. You see, it's either like it's either he's a he's if you want to make him a cardboard cutout, he's got to buy everything that he's saying. But you get the sense that despite his the way he talks about everything, that it's that he understands it's a, an act and bravado as well, and that there's some kind of you know person inside there and this is his defense mechanism against the apocalypse you know what i mean and you get that when you when they come back there at the end and they find him wounded and they have to nurse him back to health he you know there, we learn a lot more about him and that that's in fact the case and he's a much more human character at that point or, or even before that when he's trying to like prevent his friend from going without ever admitting that he doesn't want his friend to go right you know like him when he leaves hunting for a long time or when he's going to go off in the plane he's bangley's not going to come out and say i don't think you should go i don't want you to go but he's you know just a few words here and there that hig notes it's like that's him trying to tell me that he doesn't want me to leave or make making it okay for me not to leave that that was reasonable but like early on in the book the, the book that i was hoping this would be in my typical uh uh, way was that all right so you got you got this guy and he that like everyone comes to the airport and they shoot them and i really like that part because i'm like look if you're if you have survived 15 years this is a simple policy just kill everybody stick yeah. to who is it if someone appears you kill them you don't talk to them you don't negotiate you don't ask questions and it's something you expect a survivalist to do uh but then you and early on you don't know what the deal is with bangley you know he hig is with this guy uh and i was saying oh well, okay well hig has got to kill bangley in the next 10 pages because you know, that's the only way the the kill everybody as a way to survive thing as a motto extend should extend out. And you should look at the guy next to you and go, oh, wait a second, there's a guy and he seems a little crazy. Why aren't I killing him? And if I don't kill him, like he's watching me when I sleep and stuff like that. So if I, oh, well, hey, you got to kill Bangley, you know, because that's like that's the ethos of the end times is, you know, kill or be killed. Uh, but didn't go in that direction. It became like, OK, we kill everybody else. But. We're fine with each other. Also, you might almost have to protect yourself because he's he's starting to wonder if you're soft, and then maybe he'll come for you in the night. So you got to get right. Like it seems like Hig had to kill Bangley, and that would be that if it had gone down that road, this would have been a different kind of book, probably an even less touchy feely friendly kind of book. But you know, after 15 years of killing every human who sets foot in the airport and not sleeping in your own house, so you could do so in a more efficient fashion, that would seem a more logical conclusion. It's almost like the 15 years that happened before this book. Uh, this is clearly the turning point in their life. They say, yes. okay, well, that that was that. And we've been doing that for 15 years, but now my dog has become human again. <laughs> yes, my dog died. I must find. My favorite Bangley moment is when he um, uh, when he trains Hig 
or when he when he gives Hig that test without Hig knowing that he's being tested. I don't remember the exact details of the scene, but basically he makes Hig fear that he's being fired upon and and has to defend himself and that he's he's got no yeah. other options. And yeah, uh, that well, some interlopers come to the airport, right? And Hig hears it, and and it turns out that he goes out to investigate and he brings his gun and whatever. And it turns out that Bangley knows this is happening. He's watching the whole thing, but he wants to see what Hig will do. And Hig gets to the point where he's going to take him out, and then Bangley takes him out right. and says, I "Aha, like you passed my test." Which is like, what? How messed up are you? <laughs> What are you doing? See, but I like because to me that's actually a nice Bangley. thing that Bangley did because it's important that Hig has to be able to you know when he's when he doesn't need to when when Bangley's there to back him up. It's I think it's very appropriate training for Bangley to provide well, Hig. But it was it was still kind of left unexamined and we're like Hig is supposed to be sympathetic and we're supposed to eventually like him like we're supposed to identify with him in some way. But it, we never really delved into the fact that forget about the 15 years of slaughtering people who set foot in this airport, just the ones that happen in the book, like they kill the nine year old kid, all those people. Some people, yes, are marauding crazy people, but not all of them are like, you know, he said that one time I tried to negotiate is the closest I got to getting killed. Like, the, you yep. know, that test is like, oh, that was a good test for Bangley. He just killed like nine people for no reason. They were just looking for shelter. Like, No, those people were going to kill them. The, they, they, those people were. The, the way to reconstitute society is probably not to kill every single person you see because some percentage <laughs> of them are just, like – Well, I mean, probably. Uh, see, to me, that's one of the interesting things of, the, of, of really of both of these books. But, that you know, that no one really seems to have the goal of let's repopulate the world and start a new civilization. Everybody's everybody's goal seemingly for years and years is let's just freaking just kill live. everybody, yeah. Let's just live no matter what the cost but that that's i mean that it's very dark that's the darkest part of those books it would make sense that's that the people with that policy would survive for a long time but human beings are social animals and like percentage wise you know you can't it's you can't keep humans from forming society you just can't like it will happen you know no matter how many of them you think are crazy They'll, they'll form a crazy society, at least. You know, you get Thunderdrome. You get something. So, you can't stop society. They, that, that's part of what happens in this book, is that they yeah, can't well, they don't stay. Yeah, 15 years later. Yeah. They, yeah, they don't stay there. But yes, from viewed from the outside, um, these are the crazy people by the airport. Don't go by the airport. There are crazy killer people at the airport. Just leave them I th- alone. But that's what I'm saying. I think they right? are the crazy killer people. No, yeah, that's... <laughs> I think so, <laughs> except... Including Hig, but like we're, we're supposed to be sympathetic with him later. And I, Except that Hig flies around and goes and visits the family and, and gives them yeah, soda no, from he's the... A, he's a good guy he, then. He Dog. truck and he has a dog yeah. nice. uh, i i couldn't i couldn't catch i couldn't become sympathetic with hig because i didn't i didn't identify with his pain and he was just a sociopathic killer for 15 years and i didn't like i didn't i don't think he was redeemed by his actions with the old man and the woman and it was hard to square that kind of nice guy fair guy in the second half of the book with the guy who just went along with killing everybody for 15 years and was okay with it and I and you couldn't blame blame it on Bangley because they made tried to make Bangley sympathetic as well. So it's not like he was just under the wing of a crazy person and got out of his spell, you know. And it was, I think it's an interesting counterpoint to when he goes, he finally figures out, you know, that the signal is coming from another airport, and he gets over there, and uh, he he has the the chick and the the uh, her dad, and they uh, you know land, and then they find out, oh, it's a big booby trap, and this guy, oh, these are spoilers, by the way. So. Oh yes, yeah, well sure. Uh, that's it's the other post-apocalyptic hobby. And it's you just a trap. Call, right. people, and to your, so call the, people to your airport and you trip their planes with a tripwire. Exactly, and then you you it, take their for 15 stuff. Fifteen years, you kill them and take their stuff, and they are basically that old couple is basically doing what Hig and Bangley are doing. Except yes. Hig and Bangley are not well, luring people. Actively right, that, that's, luring that's people. what makes these people like those. That's to me are difference. the evilest people in the book. Like oh, yeah. they are actively luring but, you in. But they the are goal. kind of luring people by driving a plane around and by leaving the light on by the thing. You know what I mean? Like. 
It's true. It's, they're, they're not doing it as actively as the uh, older couple, but it's just shades of the same thing. Uh, I don't know. I, like, the old people, I mean, those they didn't get, we didn't get anything. They don't think they had any speaking parts other than, like, you know, begging to be killed. <laughs> yes. Ah, like <laughs> <laughs> They were up all night memorizing their lines for the book. Yep, they said, uh, don't touch that painting. <laughs> right. And then they're dead. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a, a good point that uh, that that Hig and and, uh, and Bangley are, are are doing things that we would we would say in our pre pre apocalyptic society are bad, but true. you know you do get the sense from from Hig that he's kind of emerging from this yeah you're right ten or fifteen year long fugue state where where he has sort of been under the thrall uh, of of Bangley, but but at the same time Hig, you know he's living in the hangar and doing uh gardening and taking walks with his dog and has his dog as a companion whereas bangley is just like alone and very focused on killing people and doesn't go anywhere and doesn't do anything and 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 hig flies around and goes and visits the family and takes coke out of you know convenience stores and stuff like that so you you get the sense that he's at least what the book is trying to say is that he's he is trying to do more he isn't happy he's restless he doesn't want to just go by by bangley's uh, creed it doesn't necessarily absolve him from everything that they've done while they've been defending the airport but he he clearly has has been unhappy and it leads to him setting out on his own um you know and then and then finding these people who by the way their immediate response to him flying over their little canyon is to shoot at him so again shoot first ask questions later in the apocalypse but he he takes that as a sign like say <laughs> That's well, interesting. But their, but their lives weren't <laughs> their lives were structured around stealth. Like they were hiding. Right. They weren't like they weren't, they weren't focused on like well, we, no. we routinely we routinely have a system by which when people wander into our canyon, we kill them in an efficient manner and, and dispose of them. They were caught by surprise and they defended themselves once they were right. happened upon, but it's not the same as the situation where you put leave the light on, on the porch and you sleep by the berm and no, you just wait for true. the guys to show up and well, you pick he, them off. I don't think he's leaving the light on to attract people though. I think he's leaving the light on as a warning and if you're too stupid to stay away from this guy since everybody hates everybody. No, they, they leave, it leaves it on because they know they'll go to the light. That's why they, they tip over the dumpster because they know the people will hide behind it for cover. Like it's, it's <laughs> a trap so right, in the apocalypse right. john will go toward the light and lex will run away from the light i'll be dead i'm just saying i'm <laughs> saying that you know i think that Hig has a lot of noble qualities the things he does where he visits those the orphans and i guess it's not just orphans right because right, the 15 foot perimeter there. yeah he's you know he's very nice with them he's and he goes out of his way to give them food and supplies and attention i know it's kind of a it's Hig kind is of a, a sweetheart john you take everything <laughs> bad about him back. Well, i mean I, well he's 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 a complicated character and no one understands him but his mother. Oh, by the way, the the father um, who's down in the canyon, he's the, the same guy who plays the. Uh, he can be the same guy who played the father at, on the farm in The Walking Dead. It's the same guy, same guy, <laughs> same sure. character, so, similar guy, better, more same fit. Guy. I think. I feel like it because he was like yeah. ex marine or whatever. Right. Whatever. It's the same guy. We'll just he'll he'll do a little. Uh, we'll get him a personal trainer for a few weeks, and then he can he can be that. Uh, speaking speaking of The Walking Dead, like this, I had the same frustration with this book as I have with The Walking Dead. Is like uh, especially this one because it seemed like it had some good ideas about what you do in the apocalypse, but like being at an airport in an open plane for miles around is not a defensible position. Like there, the box Canyon was at least a little bit better, you know, but they, they basically were in the middle of a, my impression was they're in the middle of a giant flat plane with mountains off in the distance on one side. And they have to patrol their entire perimeter where people can see them from miles around. Like it's not a good position. Like no. you have the entire world. You can, you can literally uh, go into a castle 
Like, you can get a castle with a moat if you can somehow get over to, like, England. Like, there are, there are more defense on the top of a skyscraper or something. More defensible positions than in the middle of a plane. Because then people can come from anywhere. And they can see you from miles and miles around, even if you're not flying a plane. It just it seems like... Well, you can see them. I think that your defense strategies are really bad, John. Because the <laughs> thing with the airport is, I can see... Since it is so flat or whatever, I can see people coming whatever direction they're coming from. And they pick them from. off. If I stay at the top of the skyscraper, then I'm cornered as soon as somebody comes in. That's like the girl in a horror movie who runs upstairs. It's like a castle. No, you have to, you have to build... You the know, there's a reason castles are made the way they are. You build it up against the back of a mountain so people can only come at you from one direction. I will outlive you in the apocalypse is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, John is going to have the spaceship, so he'll just be orbiting. Yeah, no, you need you don't want to have people. You don't want to have the possibility of people attacking from 360 degrees. You want to give yourself a defensible position that you you know it's like siege mentality. You have a moat, yeah. you have a drawbridge. You can only be attacked from one side. You have lots. Of How are they getting to England? How are well, they no, I'm, I'm, giving, I'm saying metaphorically, but you have to give yourself something like that. They have so, so much time. They could build a boat. I mean, for sure, if if the roads were at all safe, anytime there was an apocalyptic situation, if I were still alive and I could get somewhere, I would want to go to the White House and just kind of explore. That would be my big thing. Oh. <laughs> just... <laughs> that would probably be a popular destination. That's the other thing. Go go where the people aren't, which they mostly yes. had there. Like, like in the canyon in the Rockies? Where... Right. Yeah, because the, the canyon, that was you couldn't see it from lots of places around. The only place where you could ford the river they got rid of, like, that was a better defensible position. Like yeah. they, they were there for 15 years without... Without having to routinely kill people who yeah. wander in because they had chosen a better position. But I think I think that's Bangley, right? He wants to kill people from a distance. Exactly. And Hig Hig is a pilot, and he he has he finds solace in the flying, and you fly through an airport, so that's why he would be attracted to an airport. He is not thinking about you know oh I need to find the best strategic place for me to hang out. He's thinking I need to find a place where I can fly. Because yeah. I can, you know, be above the the horrors that are uh, have inflicted upon the earth, and Bangley's like, "Hey, this is cool because I can kill people." <laughs> and everybody's happy. I mean, even Bangley still tries to get like the most strategically positioned McMansion so he can see everything in the area and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. he could he could have picked a position that he knew would be would cause travelers to come into his sight so he could blow them up because that's the kind of guy he was. Which again is why he should have been killed by Hig earlier. And didn't and, and Bangley arrives after Hig at the airport. Is that am I remembering this correctly? And then Yeah, he does. Hig is there first and then Bangley shows up in the in his van filled with weapons. And amazingly they don't kill each other on sight. Yeah, I thought like the the rules weren't in effect then. I was wondering like I was waiting for the story about how those two came to be together because it seems like the Bangley's philosophy is you see someone you kill them. So how does he ever how does he ever hook up with this guy? I imagine that he must have known that the guy could fly a plane and thought that that could be useful. Well, if 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 Bangley was at the airport first and Hig was there, then Hig would have been killed by Bangley. Oh, so yeah. I think it had Hig to be the other direction, right? Yeah. We said, well, I'm exactly. here now and I'm going to take care of this place now that I'm I've showed up with my guns. Um, he's like, that's cool. Yeah, like all right, whatever. I got my dog. I'm walking around. I'm flying, getting some coke. I'm gonna take it to the uh, take it to the orphans. Whatever, you know. I, you know, Scott, you and I have re- have read another series about the apocalypse. Uh, don't even bring it up, Jason. <laughs> I'm so depressed that I have to read another one of those books. I have to read another Mira Grant book because it got nominated for Hugo again. Um, this uh, this was better than that, though. This was this was, you know there were no zombies. There was no there was the coke. Scott, Scott thought it was the best was a, book he read in January. It was the best book I read in January. Yeah, I really yeah. liked the book. I liked I, it too. I, I recommend it. Yeah, I do. I do too. I, I liked. It. Although, if if I'm uh, here's my here's going to be my criticism of it, which is it, this is this is a. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this book originated, and I like the book, but this was Peter Heller who wrote this book. He he's a, a, a pilot, right? He 
this is his fantasy. This is his apocalyptic <laughs> fantasy. It's like, yes, I mean, not to horrible. put too much, I don't know anything about his personal life, but it's like, oh, what would happen if the world ended? But I had like, and my wife died, so I was single, and I got a plane, <laughs> oh, and, and, and a whole lot fish, of gas, right? and I can fly around, and I'll find a lovely lady who will love me because I'm the only guy around, and we'll make, and we'll fish and hunt, and I'll have a little garden, and I get to see things in my plane, and nobody can bug me. And there, there is an aspect of that, which is like, this is, this is like the best apocalypse you could possibly wish for if you're this guy right i mean yeah some people died but i got my plane i'm looking around i meet a new girl i'm doing okay I, the orphans love me as compared to the road it's a pretty gentle <laughs> well geez apocalypse <laughs> I, I got the feeling like listen reading all the writing i got the feeling that he at least the author but it came through as the character was more in love with the nature of the surrounding area where he went hunting fishing sure than he was uh distraught over his wife dying like the love he felt for like descriptions of like the bark and the clouds and, and the the river water i felt the author's love for that more than i felt the character's love for his deceased wife interesting which is, which is a problem in the book i think huh. because realistically speaking i would imagine you'd be more upset that your wife See, died i'll yeah. disagree was, with john yet again 15 years ago because i feel like he's the reason that he wakes up in this book or that you know when we first meet him he's in that bizarre fugue mentally impounded state is because uh, he's dealing not just with the loss of civilization, but the loss of his family. Like I, f- I felt like that that sadness was definitely with him. But I didn't. I didn't feel like the flashbacks to his wife. was like, oh, I had a wife, and <laughs> I had to smother her with a pillow. It was a real bummer. But anyway, let me tell you about the bark on this tree because it's awesome. You know, like maybe that was supposed to be a transference type thing, but like the the attention lavished with the writing onto those things didn't. And, and we can compare it with the road, where I think the the, the attention lavished on the things that the, the main character cares about in that book is proportional to how much they're trying to that, that you would think he would care about them. So I think both of these books have a main character who is seeking redemption and and in many ways finds finds it at the end. The difference is that the redemption for Hig is he gets a girlfriend <laughs> a and and the kids love him and he can get soda out of trucks and stuff and and all of that whereas in the road there's you know the redemption is a much colder variety but it, it is similar in that way that he is on a he he's searching and he's trying to trying to make his world better and his buddy Bangley is not making his world better and they're just staying alive and by the end he's reset things and has has made it you know at least taken a step toward it being a better a better community um you know, I I, did, I liked it too. I, I I there are issues I have with it, but I, I I like how it how it is about a guy like essentially abandoning the you know kill or be killed uh, novel that he's been written into and saying I'm out of here and going and and uh, having this having this adventure. You know, I like that aspect of it. I think I liked it less than all of you, uh, although I will give this to it. Uh, I do like books about the end of the world, which seems like it's the only time ever I'm ever on a book club. I think the last one I had was when we read like those those apocalyptic uh, yeah. short stories, yep. right? So I do like those types of books, and this one did keep me turning the pages to see what happened, uh, but I would not read it again and would not recommend huh. anybody read it because uh, like, like because it, because of the amazing similarities to The Road right down to the writing style, The Road is so much better yeah. and I enjoyed well, so much more. I agree with I that. I would just say, do oh, not read Dog Stars, read The Road. It's better. And it, it, well, this was not the best book if, I read in if, any month or year. If you can only read one, <laughs> you should yeah, read yeah, The yeah. Road. But I just want to say, though, and I mean, this is the point of this episode of The Incomparable, but I think it's totally unfair 
to that and everybody does it but i think it's totally unfair to compare these two books uh in the sense of you know <laughs> saying these are two books that are the same thing because i think they're totally different i think they're trying to do totally different things i think one book is about a father's love for his son yep. and i think one book is about uh a man who's lost everything and is trying to identify himself a, father, again. a man's love for his dog <laughs> <laughs> I know. They're just saying the premise wise. If right. you're into the yes, world, yes, they're books, both at like the a, end of the world. Yeah. But I think they're. I mean, I think they're totally different books. I think they both are very good. I, I, would I think agree one is much is... better than the other. I would like. I. I. Yes. I wish. Let's put it this way. I thought we were going to come in the show and all complained about the dog stars, but then right before the show, I saw Scott's thing that he thought this was the best book. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be the only one who didn't like this book. And sure enough, <laughs> well, he didn't read the road in January. I, I. I didn't say. I thought it was the best book. Period. <laughs> of of the month that you'd read that month, but you read like 50 books a month, so that's yeah. saying something. <laughs> That's true, but I also said it's much worse than the road. Yes, that's that's true. I, I found it. I, I kind of I found it kind of memorable, and I have visions of like the, how I pictured parts of this book. We should also talk about the end before we move on to the road and get really depressed. Which is the end? Um, is the end that you're thinking of? I mean, they come back and they find that Bangley's been injured, and they kind of nurse him back to health. And uh, and uh, he brings the woman who was a doctor to the kids, and she she they've always kept a distance, and they touch the kids, and they, oh yay, it's so nice, and. They, there are jet trails from mysterious jets with Arabic on the radio that are going overhead. And it's like, where are they coming from? And where are they going to? And how is it that there are people flying jets? And you get the sense that from Higgs' perspective, it's like, dang, I know, I want to fly a jet. I just got this stupid Cessna. Uh, is that? I mean, that's that's how it ends, right? Or am I forgetting something? Uh, you, you pretty much got it like that. But it, they want you to say, the, like, oh, now they're one big happy family. Bangley didn't kill everyone on sight. He was almost killed, but he bravely fought them off. And now they have four people He's defending their thing. And they have they have a doctor for, for the people with the blood disease. They're, they're building and a community the father now. and Bangley get along great for some reason, even though Bangley is an, an affirmed psychopath and the father is seemingly a normal person. Uh, well. And then, like, that, they're one big happy family. And then they have the... the the rumors of the Arabs and the jet things and stuff like that. Uh, maybe setting up for a sequel or something. End. But Or is it? Yeah. It's the end. Yeah, but that, that, that's it. I mean, I, I guess I, I thought that Bangley and the father were kind of bonding over their kind of uh, knowledge of weaponry and survival, right? Because they were the survivalists of the of their pairs. Yeah, but one of them, like the father was like straight arrow. Legitimate mil- military Bangley, guy. Bangley would have killed uh, Hig the second he put down his yeah. weapon and said, hey, I just want to talk. And then a bolt through his head. I was <laughs> I was pictured Bangley as being like, uh, is it, who was who was the guy with the hat in in um in King of the Hill? <laughs> Who was the gun nut and all of that? I don't know. That's that's how I pictured Bangley. Is he's he's kind of a he he has big ideas about himself, but in fact he is you know he's just kind of a gun nut who's gotten his big break. <laughs> it's like yeah, the world ended. And now I can put my plan into place. Whereas the father is like a military guy and actually knows what he's doing. So yeah, why did they get along? I don't know. At the end of the world, you gotta find. You know, it was ha- it was a happy ending. Much. R- relatively speaking, it was a happy ending. People, there was you know as happy as it can be. There's yeah. a little hope. Yeah. They'd grown and changed as characters. Like, no character you cared about died except for the dog, but that was kind of a middle type. And, and, you know, they don't live forever anyway. No. Nobody lives forever. Especially not dogs. Well, Well, uh, Scully does, but, you know. (laughs) That's a a deep X-File reference. Yeah, oh, no, that's good. That's good. That's a a little Clyde Bruckman's final repose there. But, yes, I I agree with John. If you can only, for some reason, read one (laughs) One of these two books, I don't know. Uh, I would go farther. I would say don't don't read the dogs. You would say you you write it off completely. Say don't even bother. I think it's very good and worth reading. I, I would not I, I would not have chosen to read it if it wasn't for this podcast. And uh, although it kept me turning pages in it, I 
would not recommend reading What more can a book do? <laughs> oh, a lot more. A lot more. Put it, put it this way. Remember the Name of the Wind books, like the King Killer Chronicles? I like both of those books way more than the Dog Stars. Well, those were good books, too. Yeah, I thought you liked those books, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm just saying people use like, just because I criticize something doesn't mean I think it's not worth reading. But right. this one, I, maybe I just didn't like the author. Like, it didn't, yeah, I didn't, I, this one did not connect All with right. me. Fair enough. Fair. Where Scott and, and, and Lex and I liked it. I, I, I didn't love it. I Because um, uh, the two books I got for Christmas were The Rook and uh, Dog Stars. And The Rook was way better than this. But I liked it. I almost read that one, too. I made the wrong choice. Right. Okay, we should talk about The Road. Cormac McCarthy, 2006, Oprah's Book Club selection. Ooh, winner of the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> Oprah's I didn't know about book the Oprah club part. selection. Actually, the copy I have is a is an Oprah book club <laughs> heart, uh, paperback trade paperback. I'm like, yeah, that's the only one. You have it in paper. I do. Barbaric. I have it. I, well, I, that's how long ago I read this. I actually bought it in an airport um, when I was uh, I had no books to read and I was going to take a long flight and I it, it had just come out in paper, rushed into paper because of Oprah, <laughs> because of Oprah, because Oprah. Oprah really wanted to make people sad. <laughs> I have it in PDB format, which tells you how old it is. Wow, yeah. I, I also have it in uh, paper format. And uh, I should note, I offered to give my copy to Lex, and he refused it. Right, I said that I w- was reading it on my Kindle. That's the only way I read uh, stuff. I don't want your filthy Scott copy. <laughs> right. I regret it now. I should have taken it just because I would be owning a McNulty book, and I can't believe I don't. You could write secret notes to him in the margin. <laughs> That's right. right. And I would never see them because I don't reread books. This character reminds me of you, Scott. No, you'd read it again when you forgot that you read it in about five years. <laughs> that could happen. That could happen. This was – so obviously Oprah liked it. The Pulitzer Committee liked it. What do they know? They made a movie out of it with Viggo Mortensen, which I haven't seen. I haven't seen I've it. I've seen either. it. It's all right. It's not great. <laughs> least okay. surprising movie review ever no, i'm enthusiastic about movies that i really like uh, and i hate movies that i really hate and some of them are in the middle that's weird i don't know i don't know how to react to that john i have a complete range that's interesting that's strange sometimes i imagined you as sort of uh our bangley <laughs> just a little come on let's have some fun no Mm-mm. no i got a tower here okay I'm defending the tower. That's what well, I'm doing. Who, who's Hig? Who's the dog? <laughs> I don't That's know really who's Hig. Question. I'm Lex the dog. Lex is the dog, obviously. <laughs> Lex is, I'm sorry, Lex. So I die. <laughs> That's right, early on, because you got to get to sleep. Okay, the road, uh, you know... It doesn't have a lot of punctuation. I guess that's a Cormac McCarthy thing. I actually haven't read any of his other novels. Has anybody... Anybody? Anyone? No, but I would because of how much I liked The Road. It is oh. so great. It is. It, it is, is one of. If I had to make a list of like the ten, my ten favorite books, I think it would be on it. I, I don't know where it would rank or anything like that. But it, it is. It as much as we've said, it's dark. It's dark as a as a book can get. It as depressing in some ways as a book can get. I think I told this to Lex before he read it. I said, "Yo, you got to read The Road." And you're like, "I don't know," but it is. Um, it is one of my the best books that I've read. Uh, and it is about a post-apocalyptic world, and this is not a clean apocalypse. This is the dirtiest of the dirty apocalypses, right? This is the. This is not even the people have died. This is every living thing is dying. There's like no plants anymore. Everything's kind of like a gray mush. And whatever it was involved a tremendous amount of fire, and there is still ash, lots of ash everywhere. Ash everywhere. Yeah, and this is a great example because this premise also makes no sense, but it shows that if you are a good enough writer. 
doesn't matter. It doesn't matter yep. that, your, that your premise makes no sense, and you won't you won't be expected to explain it, which he doesn't, which is fine. Like you're you're willing to forgive a lot. Like you talk about the writing without the punctuation and everything. It's the type of thing where, like, when you see those car commercials and they say, uh, "Professional driver, closed course, <laughs> do not attempt." Like that's this, you know, that's that's what I felt like. Peter Heller should have looked. It's like it's not easy. It's hard enough to write a straight ahead book where you just write regular prose and you just do it in the format that novels do it or whatever. He's making his life more difficult by writing this incredibly stylized way just to like let people follow along and how do you express And it's just amazing that he manages to do it in an unconventional way and keep everything so you can tell what's going on and get you wrapped up in the story and deliver emotions and that he uses this uh, different style to convey things that would not be as easy to convey with all the typical punctuation and everything. So I was re- this is the first book of his I read as, as well, and I was blown away by the writing even beyond the story. Oh, yeah. I did not think that the lack of punctuation helped the story. I didn't think it hurt, but it I don't It takes some getting used it to. It's a style thing. It takes some getting well, used to. Like the stream of consciousness, it's not just the lack of punctuation, it's that he won't do paragraph breaks for changes in speech or when someone... So it'll be into... It, it reads more like a stream of consciousness type diary where you're just like writing stuff out. And I think that lent an air of sort of misery and you know sort of like the, the the trudging through and just like you know that you're alone with your thoughts and you don't know what's going on and things just one flows into the other and the fact that there's only two people like two characters in the book the boy and his father there's no need for this structure because they are the only two people left in the world and i thought that did add to it i thought it, i thought having those phrases out there and then when he does choose to break them up like big block paragraph conversation and then broken up with not just line breaks but separate paragraphs for the lines of more significant exchanges. I thought that that added to the experience to me. Maybe it was just the novelty of it. Maybe if I read like five of his books, I'd be sick of it by now. But reading the one, it really worked. Did we do the synopsis of this book yet? Have we have we told the people what it's about? Well, so I can do that. It, it is, again, it, it's not even post-apocalyptic. It's like the world isn't coming to an end in the road. The world has ended. <laughs> there's nothing, there's no... The first page of the book is the end. Yeah, there's nothing, like nothing is alive. Uh, basically, it's so post-apocalyptic that all vegetation has been destroyed, either by the the calamity or by the people in the aftermath of it. There are no animals alive anymore. They've all been killed and no, eaten. No insects. There's nothing, nothing left. Nothing to eat. There's just like people and the detritus that was left behind by people. And this father, who and there are no no named characters in this. The father and the son. The mother during the calamity killed herself. Um, as she was pregnant with the the boy, and he, the boy is delivered and raised by the father, and they decide that winter is coming, um, but not that way. <laughs> George, there are no dragons. Winter. Uh, winter is coming, and they can't survive where they are, so they um, they go walk down the road toward the south, hoping to find someplace warmer. Because it, you know the the, implic- the implication is that there's a nuclear winter kind of thing going on, and everything's really messed up. Uh, and so they they head down a, a, a road with a like a shopping cart, and uh, the the problem is they're not the last two people alive. There are still people alive, and they're the ones who've survived by largely killing other people and are not shameless about it. And there's a lot of kind of horrible things that they see that are happening when people are trying to survive by killing other people and taking their stuff and and eating them because there are no animals to eat so they're eating other people and that's where we got that aforementioned baby on the spit um and that you know and that's I basically thought that was probably the worst scene of the book yeah that that, that was well not, the people in the, the basement is close the, right the people in the basement yeah. I, I would say is a, a tie harrowing stuff that happens and then at the at the end i'm not going to spoiler horn this because come on guys this book's been out for 
you know, six, seven years. At the Everybody's end, happy. the father dies. What? Because he he was suffering from a sickness, presumably induced by the post-apocalyptic yeah. conditions that they're living in. That he has lung disease. It was clear from the beginning. It's just a matter of time where yep. his coughing worsens, and he's he's going to die. And so during the whole book, you know that's going to happen. You know that he knows that's going to happen, and, and you kind of sort of know that the kid senses it as well, which just puts this giant dark cloud cloud over all the proceedings, as if you didn't need another thing to now, you know. I, I, when we were talking about these books right at the start, I was saying how post-apocalyptic books depress me in large part because I realize how ineffectual I would be post-apocalyptically, although I would still pick a better place to live than John. But I, um, I, you know, this one really was emotional because you can't help. I mean, I don't know. I, as a father, I couldn't help but picture me with my own son yep. or other kid and wanting to do the what you could. non-son children. Right. Thinking of, <laughs> thinking of how, you know, how are you going to bring this? Like, I was thinking, but how did this kid learn language? How does this kid know what half these words mean that his father is using to refer to things that no longer exist? But I was just thinking about how you try to teach them, how you try to motivate him to walk each day. But I, I mean, I don't know. To me, the book is really less about the existence of the apocalypse than it is about, you know, this father trying to do best by his son oh, yeah. in a situation where best is extremely lousy. Yeah, this is a this is a story about this is what I told you when I told you you need to read this is this is the this is the best thing I have ever read about a parent's love for their child. That's right. That is what and, you said. And and what would you do for your children? And you know, and and I think I've told the story on the podcast before. But when you're when you're a parent, sorry, sorry, Scott, mm. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm just just you can tune out for a second. But when you're a parent, um, things happen that that kind of blow you away. Like I I remember walking uh, on a sidewalk over like an overpass with my with my daughter when she was little and this guy was coming the other way and all of a sudden i thought well if that guy tries something i'm gonna kill him <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna kill him if even if it even if i die i'm going to protect my child because it was like precarious and it was this high place that we were walking over and it's just you know wh- whoa where did that come from and the answer is i'm gonna protect i'm gonna do anything i can to protect my children the magic of evolution and i know and this book that's i mean that's really what it is is there's there's kind of nothing that can be done you could just give up but he's a father and he's taking care of his son and he's not going to give up um and you know th- that's what this is about really more than anything else is it doesn't matter what the world is going to throw at you and how hopeless it actually is his you know his only duty is to protect his son as much as he can that's why i don't see it as, as so much a depressing book because uh like under this your and under your circumstances you're like well i'm living in a regular world the world goes on but i'm going to i would sacrifice myself to save my child but the scenario in the book is so much more dire because I'm like, <laughs> what am i even saving him for like yeah what's the what's the point and to be able like this the strength of the the father character in the book is to be able to he's fighting against the idea of like of the pointlessness of it all I, you know, day to day. So what I'm extending his life in this horrible world, it seems like we're all going to die anyway. And, and it seems like he acknowledges I'm going to die from the sickness. And my son is going to die anyway, because even if no one kills him or, or eats him or anything like that, like there's no future for him or whatever. And yet he, despite this, these conditions, does not fall into the depths of despair and continues to fight the good fight for his son right up to the bitter end, despite the, the conditions. So it's like triumph of, you know, a triumph of his own willpower not to succumb to the darkness that took his wife. You know what I mean? So I, I find it's kind of an uplifting message. See, kind of. I definitely don't agree with that. And I think that this is probably why I think I enjoyed the book the least of the panelists. I really liked the book and I, it's another one that I'd recommend, but uh, the thing I wrestled with upon finishing the book, I mean, he, we do try to end on a slightly uplifting note, 
you know, the boy's going to go be with some other people who are also surviving for the hell of it. You you assume those people are not going to eat him. Right. I, I felt pretty yeah, confident about that. But I um I don't know. I I felt like maybe we the father has not made the right decision. That maybe the better way to serve this kid and himself but is to put them both decision, out of their right? misery. I, I would a long hear, time I hereby offer uh, Alexis children asylum <laughs> in my castle <laughs> in the apocalypse. Your father apparently has decided you're not worth saving. You ha- you are welcome to come with me. Well, no, I mean this is exactly you know Jason made the point a long time ago about Robert Kirkman and and the walking dead and yes, lauren and i have would, said to each said other hang himself yes right lauren and i said to each other that if there were a zombie apocalypse we would kill all the children and then ourselves like we're not going to have them go through anything if you know i don't know you have to, you have to be really sure though <laughs> right yes. run kids run. i think i hear a zombie i'll be right back <laughs> have you not yet game of thrones for peace just a man with a limp like <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible i have to you know here, okay, while I'm ranting about this book, yes. here's, there's other things that, that bother me. I, and I, again, I want to stress, I really like the book. But here are three things that stuck out to me that I don't like. This is off the top of my head now. One, it really bothers me that the boy does not have a name. I understand that it's we're post-apocalyptic, there's nothing to live for, and everything is horrible. But it really makes me mad. A, a boy should have a name, a father should have a name that he calls his son. He, he may have a name, but we just don't know what it he is. He has a name, but he just doesn't say it. But he never says it. The father never says it. We have many, many, many lines of dialogue. Why, why does he need to address him by name? Who else is he going to be? He's the only other person there. <laughs> because a boy should have a name. The boy needs an identity. The boy should have a name. I, I, think, I think he has one. I think he has a name, too. We just don't know it. I want to hear it. The father should use the name. All right. So the father should use the boy's name. It will help to give him more self-confidence in school. It's a really embarrassing name. <laughs> like uh, Ludwig or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not you don't want to use it it's really you can't you can't pronounce it thing two is they find that this beautiful um i can't think of the term the bunker the bomb shelter oh yeah the fallout shelter yes they find the beautiful that's, bunker. that's my favorite part of the book and yeah. they leave it way too soon like yeah. why don't we fight to keep this thing for a little bit weren't they forced out no, no he's just like no 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 we, this is uh, we, this is out undercover people will find right. it he says it's, it's like well nobody's found it so far exactly and what's nobody's the other alternative there. dude you're you're gonna oh they might kill us well you're gonna die anyway why don't you die happy surrounded by canned food I did read Food this book a long time ago, but I, I seem Food to recall like that at least I understood from my perspective when I read that part, I, it was like I believed when when the, the man said we have to leave because of X, Y, and Z. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense given what I know of this world. So I didn't think they left it too soon. I was sad when they left, but I, I, I agreed with the inevitability of them having to leave and like maybe, you know. I, I had exactly Jason's thought was that this has been – nobody has found this in all this time. This is yours for the keeping and I would rather die there than on the road. And well, then, I mean there were finite supplies there, so presumably they would have gone through everything anyway. But years, like they didn't. Years. I don't think it would have lasted them years. Yeah. Didn't, didn't he he ballpark the the figure on it when he found the place that it was like you know it was a couple of good months maybe a year but not you know it's not well I mean but even you I think you would opt to take that year yeah. as opposed <laughs> to traipsing around in, uh, in your you know, stupid boat castle with your <laughs> with your shopping cart. that goes back to his his philosophy here which is he he's not. He's not content with biding time and just having them die. He's trying to do whatever he can to keep his son alive uh, and and live his life. And in that bunker, if they get to the end of it, I guess the idea would be you get to the end of it and then you just move on. But I think he's feeling like the, the bad weather is pressing on them and they need to keep moving. And, and you know, he's really focused on this end game. And the end game is kind of questionable, right? The end game is, well, we're, we won't be dead yet and he'll be further south and maybe things will be better and maybe we'll find something. I mean, maybe, maybe things are okay in South America or whatever. <laughs> it's like a flickering, last bit of flickering hope that's left in the world. And if we stay here, we're kind 
kind of just saying we're going to eat and then we're going to die. So we're going to keep moving with that last bit of hope. Plus, mechanically speaking, like you can't, the book can't come to a conclusion if they don't leave the place. You know what I mean? Right. Like they could have just done a fast forward in time, like and a year passes, and well, kid, we're out of supplies. You know that would have solved the problem. But mechanically speaking, you need to you need to get them out of the bunker to get to the rest of the book. Yeah. Now, I just the the other thing that was very difficult for me as a father, I guess, again, was, you know, it, I, at least for me, I think I might have been a little bit slow on this and that I wasn't getting the point right away. Or maybe it's intentionally written so that you only slowly realize what's going on. But the boy's trained to use a gun. And at first when I thought the boy was trained to use the gun and he knew what he had to do with the gun in an emergency, it was, you know, to help kill the bad guys. But eventually you realize that, in fact, no, he needs to use the gun to kill himself if they're going to be captured so that he won't be eaten or so that he won't have to suffer somebody else's hand, I guess, before he is eaten. Uh, he'll probably still be eaten. But I, I didn't I, – I objected to the father teaching his son that. I think that's a lot to put on a son that kid's ad. Didn't, didn't you just go through how you were going to kill all your kids if you saw a zombie outside your window? <laughs> yes, the I'll show. kill them, but I'm not oh, going to teach them they well, have si- to kill themselves. Simultaneously so they won't have to see their siblings go. If they can see the kids die, am I allowed to say that? They can see their siblings die. They're only going to have two seconds to suffer from that. But I'm just saying, I don't want my ki- I'm not teaching my kid to kill themselves. The problem I have with your plan, Lex, is the, the <laughs> profanity, not the image of you slaughtering your children. <laughs> That's what's really offensive when you get down to it. That's right. The, the apocalypse is no place for profanity. But keep it clean. Oh, yeah. I clean just, apocalypse. So, so... On these podcasts before, we've talked about apocalypses in the the book club we did last year and in The Walking Dead and, and, and some others. And I always talk about the clean apocalypse and the dirty apocalypse and why clean apocalypses bother me, that people are, it's the end of the world, but everybody's washed their hair and, you know, there's supplies and it's fine. And, and one of the reasons that I really love The Road and maybe this says something about me as a person and my about my view of humanity is I look at the road and think, yep, that's what would happen in an apocalypse. This is how the end of the world happens is everybody kills everybody else, does horrible things, it, cannibalism, you name it, whatever. It's not there's no there's no semblance of civilization. You know, the, you know, clean apocalypse stories are these fantasies of, well, you know, the world ended, but that's good for us because we have our little community. And I look at the road and I'm like, yep, I think for whatever reason, this is this is how I view the end of the world is that it's going to end like this. It's not going to even if Hig and his buddies have their like little time at the at the airport. The fact is the gas is going to run out. Everything is going to go bad. And in the end, everybody's going to kill each other and either revert to uh, just barbarism in that case or in this case, everybody will just be dead. Well, does that does that appeal, I say appeal to you? But like, do you really think that's what would happen? Because assuming people could live on like even if you send them back to caveman times they'll reinvent well, the, the wheels right, right, right. through this the bronze age like yes. presumably it would just reboot right. the failure the failure in the uh, this is the reason why the road pushes it beyond the limits is the road has created a, a catastrophe so enormous that there's nothing left and it's there's literally not, not going to come back nobody's going to make it yeah. this is this is so clearly the end of everything and in reality our world and our eco- ecosystem is remarkably resilient uh, and and even you know try as we might the world's still going to be here <laughs> and life is going to be on it and maybe even people are going to be on it in an apoc- after an apocalypse but you're right they would re- re- 
they would return to savagery. And in the road, it pushes it a little beyond that. But I think it captures yeah, well, the, the that spirit like of li- savagery. Yeah. Life is ending and like there's not going to be anything left, which, you know, again, again, is un- it doesn't make any sense and is unrealistic. But for right. the purposes of the book, that's the premise and they don't have to explain it, you know. Yeah. But I do like I, I like that aspect of it. It's like unapologetically like, you know, he the man has this hope, but it's a completely unreasonable hope because every sign everywhere, literally every sign is that it's over. And yet he will not give up right. what, trying what to take care of his son. It's like the keeper of the flame Keepers or whatever. Like the he, fire, he makes yeah. some sort of metaphor carrying for it, fire, despite yeah. the fact that it's hopeless, you should still continue on. Whatever flame it is that Lex doesn't have, that's what, that's what <laughs> <it's> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I mean, did, did you... John, you referenced it before, I think, this scene where they, they happen upon a house that they think could be great, and then it turns out that it's got a basement dungeon with people who they are slowly eating. Uh, piece by piece. Pick like that, you don't eat all at once. Did you buy that? Like, I mean, Jason, you're saying that you, you like the dirty apocalypse element, and I would agree, but I, I think, it, I mean, the this guy is no, the, the guy at the center of our story, who is also nameless, does not seem like he is special or unique in any way, other than he's just kind of a good guy, and his inclination was never, hey, let's eat people we find. I feel like it was the book almost took it too easy and said, you know what? A lot of these people are just eating other people because that's all the food they can find. But he's finding ways to stay alive without resorting to eating people. I don't know that I could eat a person when there were any other options available. But most of those people have been eaten by this point. That's actually, I don't want to go back to the dog stars, but that's another thing. Like there's some people eating in the dog stars as well. And it's like, why? You've got deer. And like, I mean, I know you say like some of the the big fish are going away. Trucks full of stuff. Twinkies are in the trucks with the soda. Yeah. Like that seemed, that seemed crazy. They were, it just seemed like it was an obligatory. We have to eat people. But this this thing. (laughs) That's what happens. Again, with the road, but but in the road though, like I got the feeling that the father and the son were not being, were not successful. They were we're not being doing, you know, succeeding it, in this post-apocalyptic world to the well. degree that the guys who like had a house and had a system for enslaving and eating people, they seem to be more like these guys. I felt that it was kind of like the you know Sam and Frodo walk through Mordor. They're just like they're just put upon by the weather, by just like everything. They're constantly running out of food. They're not thriving in the post-apocalyptic no. world, mm. not even to the degree of the, the crazy cannibal. So I feel like cannibalism is actually a more successful strategy in terms of standard of living but they're not doing it for moral reasons right no i'm not i I agree with everything you just said i'm just saying i'm surprised i don't know the book suggested to me at least that the vast majority of survivors were on board with eat or be eaten (laughs) and that's that struck me as unusual well, you know, the it, the vast majority do not need to be on board, but the, majority, just, the, just the, the people ones. who have the guns <laughs> Eventually are on board. <laughs> they eat everybody That's else. fair. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So we're far enough along that survival of the hungriest has uh, left it so that the only people left are the eaters. If you go with the optimistic scenario at the end of the book, the guy, the boy, finds on the beach, presumably those are more of the good people, if you believe that that's what they're they They like, have you know, to be. Because they stay, they, stay off the roads. That, they've that's been the following him for so long. If they weren't, if they were anything but good people, they wouldn't have kept following them for so long without capturing How, and eating why them. Why were they? What makes you believe they were following him for so long? They told us so. Oh, well, that's okay. They wouldn't lie. About they me. wouldn't lie yeah. to me. <laughs> Lex is very optimistic about it. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it's ambiguous. I like the fact that they didn't do the and they lived happily ever after and they took care of the boy and he never had anything bad happen to him again. I like the fact that it's open to interpretation. And you can decide for yourself: Do you believe these people? Do you not believe them? Is it a ploy? Are they going to roast that boy? Or is he going to be <laughs> safe with them? Or or will he be safe with them for three days and then the cannibals will get them all? You know, you're you're allowed to play that. Usually that annoys me, but in this one. I felt like the real ending of the book was the father dying yeah. and that whole thing. And this was just kind of like the epilogue. And 
I was good with it being ambiguous. Was anybody else terrified during the boat scenes near the end? I did not like that he kept leaving the kid for such long amounts yeah, of time out of walk, his sight. That's a Walking Dead thing, too. Watch your kids. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Keep your eye on them. They're right there. I, I don't know what the solution was, but, man, it, uh, the, I thought for sure that something horrible was going to happen to the kid, which it did not. Well, like, at that point, he was up against the wall because, basically, you know, he was going to die. He knew he was going to die soon. They they needed whatever what was he getting on the boat, like medical supplies or something. Like... It was his end game at that point. He's like, look, if, that, if ever there was a time where I have to make this risk to leave my kid and, you know, like that was he died like 10 pages later. Right. So a little longer. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, desperate times, desperate measures. But yeah, I mean, that's that's just a heightening tension, you know, in terms of movies with kids in danger and stuff like that. It wasn't gratuitous like it is in The Walking Dead where you're just like, OK, well, you stay here and I'm not going to wa- I'd watch you closer than this in the mall. But in the zombie <laughs> apocalypse, you guys just go outside and play for a while. I won't really. Pay attention to what you're doing. I also like that in in this apocalypse, uh, my favorite apocalypses are where the people are the problem. You know, zombies are nice and all, but zombies are like the weather. You know, and in good, even like in The Walking Dead, the nice thing about it is the zombies are there, but the problem is the people. And that's what I like about the road is that the, you know, the people are going to be, people are way worse than zombies. Zombies can't think. They just wander around. People can plan and do horrible things that are more horrible because they're thought out. Yeah. There's no radiation. There's no, uh, no. disease. There's no. no alien invaders eating people. It's just uh, everyone's dead. Well, there's gray goo and ash, and everything's been burned. not gray goo. But... It's just ash. But yeah. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, it rains, and then it's gray goo. I guess. I don't know. It's bad. It's not that gray, gray goo. goo. It's not like a nanotech apocalypse. It's not yeah. a description. That's a totally different apocalypse. The gray goo apocalypse. Yes. Uh, yeah. If we're lucky. Lex will be dead by then, but you know, <laughs> he sees a dust bunny. He's off in his kids. Well, if I'm dead, you can trust that my children are too. <laughs> <laughs> or they're in John's magical castle in England that he's flown uh, to in his transparent <laughs> jet. You see, uh, Minas Tirith. You know, it's built up against the mountain. Yeah, good. Defense. Edinburgh Castle. That's where you're going to be. You're going to be at the top of the Edinburgh Castle in Scotland, up against a mountain. Perfect. That's the way to do it. You can only be attacked by And you'll have a hang glider up there, so if they really do surround you, you can just go see a suckers <laughs> you, and you, you go off in you your hang glider. just uh, retreat into the glittering caves or whatever. That's uh, Helm's Deep. Okay. There are many, ca- many castles, <laughs> fictional and non-fictional. So Lord of the, you're going to flee into the Lord of the Rings in its <laughs> own apocalypse. You, you might want to pick a non-fictional castle. Uh, I don't know. Uh, isn't it isn't Helm's Deep real somewhere in New Zealand now? It's made of styrofoam, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. That'll Far more defensible than an airport. Uh, New Zealand is good, very defensible. Water on all sides. That's true. Keep yeah, the invaders at bay. You go down to the end of a peninsula, can't be attacked by the water because of the giant cliffs behind you. Oh, you're all good. Perfect. All right, it's the end of the world and it's the end of the podcast now. None of us have survived. I feel fine. Lex <laughs> like, killed us all before Lex, killed himself. I didn't want you guys to suffer. Showed us mercy. <laughs> Thank you, Lex. Ah, yeah, that's very nice. No, this has been this has been good. This has been enjoyable to talk about the end of the world while the world is still here. Uh, and I recommend both of these books. Uh, Scott and I clearly agree, and John agree that the road is the better of the two books. Lex, would you agree that, with that, or do you prefer the Dog Stars? The road is the better of the two books. All right, he sounds sad. You about have it. issues, but it's. It, it, I don't know. It's which, which one would you choose to read again? If I was going to read one again, I wouldn't read the road again. It's too depressing. All right. Well, there you go. I would read the road again, but as would I. It was really because apparently Lex has written notes in my copy, so <laughs> I need to find that. This is you. This cannibal is you, Scott. 
he's casted in 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 the liner notes it's nice all right well until our next edition of the incomparable i want to thank my guests my compatriots on this trip to the end of the world john syracusa great to have you back on the podcast thank you for reading the books anytime the world is going to end i'll be there jason i know i know in your castle which is good that's how i like it lex friedman thank you uh for being on and joining us and staying up late to talk about uh the end of the world it was a pleasure and scott mcnulty thank you as always for reading all the books uh, i have a lot of time <laughs> I'm surrounded by jars, so it's like at the end of the world. You're going to be like Burgess Meredith at the end of the world, right? You can just don't break your glasses. Don't don't exactly. I have time enough at last. You know, having a partner who who does canning f- as a hobby and for a living, uh, very useful in an apocalypse. <laughs> it's it's true. Uh, Marisa is also quite popular with uh, the doomsday preppers. So, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. No. That's People good. need to know how to can. She has a value. She, I often say, she has a valuable skill that could come in useful in uh, an apocalypse. I will not be able to help anyone with their cold <laughs> fires, so I don't know what I'll do. IT in the apocalypse. Exactly. Just so shrug. Powers out. Sorry. Yeah, so so in many ways, Scott's wife is sponsoring this episode of The Incomparable <laughs> because she will show you how to can things. That's right. Foodandjars.com. Foodandjars.com for all of your canning needs. When the apocalypse hits... Have some pickles. Well, I can ha- I can personally endorse food in jars because I have that book and it is excellent. And my uh, cupboards are full of food in jars made from recipes from that book. So this is this is a real opportunity. I, I'm glad that she's in with the Doomsday Preppers because that's uh, those are her people now. I- I'm just realizing that in the apocalypse, I won't be able to read any of my books because they're all on the <laughs> Kindle. Uh-huh. <laughs> time if you enough have taken my copy, that'll be the modern time enough at last. It'll be right. it'll be uh, the end of the world, and he'll be very happy, and his Kindle will run out of battery. No! Well, <laughs> he can why... read whatever page was last displayed as long as he wants. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I have several Kindles to uh, cover my base. Are they all... One page per Kindle. Are they all charged Read the, read the page, throw the Kindle away. Read the next page. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Save for those bu- pages. You can put them together in a very large binding. I'll have a lot of time, so. Yeah. Why not? All right, until our next Incomparable, thanks to everybody out there for listening to another edition of our book club. You can go to our Incomparable Book Club Goodreads group and find out what we're reading next. I believe the plan is to read uh, the graphic novel adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time as well and go back, ideally, and read the classic uh, children's novel, a wrinkle in time and then we'll cover that in a month or so but you can always tune in uh, what we're looking at and have conversations with your fellow listeners at the goodreads group that is just search for the incomparable and we're there until next time this is jason snell signing off thanks for listening 